good morning, good evening, good afternoon. It's your man Quez, and uh, I'm sorry I haven't been posting regularly. Um, obviously, it's been the holidays, it's been Christmas. I mean, I posted the intro on Christmas, but it's been Christmas, New Year's, it's been shopping, it's been doing things, moving around, meeting friends, socializing, blah, 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 blah. Um, as I said probably previously in the last episode, if I didn't, I'm a student and we got break and I live, I go to school about two hours away from home, so I'm back home. So I've just been relaxing, catching up with people, enjoying life, meditating, that kind of thing. Um, and so a lot of things have really been weighing on my mind lately. A lot of things, very general topics. Uh, I would like to do some current events type things. I would love to discuss all kinds of very specific things, but I think right now there are a lot of general kind of issues in, in my psyche, permeating my psyche right now. <clears throat> the first one I would love to discuss, mental health. Mental health. The next issue I would love to discuss would be the political landscape of the Western world right now. And a lot of other areas too, like India and Brazil. Uh, in India, they have Prime Minister Modi, who's a right-wing Hindu fascist. They have in Brazil, I think his name is Bolonsaro. He is a virulent racist rape apologist. He's a horrible human being. And I think there's a reason why there's this rise in fascism right-wing militancy, as well as also this kind of intense identitarianism that has swarmed and overtaken things, and I think it's all interconnected. Um, and the next topic will be discussing the flaw of religion, specifically Christianity in the Western world, and why people walk away from Christianity in the Western world, why Christianity seems to be bustling and exploding in the non-Western world, and why things are that way. I think we'll just discuss the flaws of religion. I'm a young person. I'm only, I'm in my early 20s. I'm not going to give you my exact age, but I'm in my early 20s. And I think a lot of young people walk away from religion. But I'd like to discuss that. I had a conversation with a pastor recently, and he was kind of asking me, why do young people not like these things? And I'm, I, I think there's a reason. And we're going to discuss that some, in some length. Uh, so those are our topics for now. And oh yes, I would like to kind of give sort of a, not an advertisement, but kind of just make you aware. There is a woman, a young woman named Sintoya Brown. Sintoya, that is C-Y-N-T-O-I-A Brown. Sintoya Brown is a young woman who was accused when she was, I think, 15 of killing a John. She was sold into... Uh, slavery. She's a human trafficking victim. Human trafficking is slavery. She was sold into slavery. Uh, was pimped out. Met a John. Uh, claimed she was in danger of her life and killed him. There are various opinions on the case, but I would love you to take a look at it. And if you really feel passionate, do what I did and please sign a petition to have her retried. This is a very big topic. We should not criminalize and demonize uh, victims of sex trafficking. We should help them and reintegrate them into society. So thank you for hearing me. I'm getting off my soapbox. We'll discuss other topics. And uh, yeah, this is part one, I guess. We'll see where things go from here. Thank you.
mental health. Mental health. In some ways, mental health is more important than physical health. Uh, But first, before we dive into what mental health is, I would love to define what mental health is. And I'd like to do that first by defining what mental illness is. Mental illness is an illness of the brain. It is not a physical illness in the sense that it is a tumor, that it is a lesion, but it is a problem rooted in chemical imbalances. You know, rooted in traumas, rooted in experiences. It's a psychological issue. In psychology, it's referred to as abnormal psychology. Mental illness is a defect that occurs in one's thinking, uh, one's cognitive capabilities, one's perception of the world, one's perception of themselves, and it causes a lower quality of life. This can be expressed through anxiety, depression, psychosis, um, of a slew of personality disorders, uh, and all kinds of things I probably have missed. I'm again, I'm not a psychiatrist. I am still in school for communications, but um, I experience, understand a bit of what I'm talking about because I myself have a mental illness. I have schizoaffective bipolar disorder, and so I have mental illness. And it's been a journey in my life for me to learn how to have mental health. Now, what is mental health? Mental health is the health of the mind. Mental health is being positive, proactive. It's being um, empowering of self. It's being aware of self. It's being kind to self in such a way that allows for one to have a positive life experience and a great quality of life. That is what mental health is, at least to me. Mental health, in short, is the ability to take care of oneself in the mind and to prosper through one's activities in the mind. It is the opposite of mental illness where there is a degraded or degrading quality of life. Mental health is the positive quality of life brought about through positive mental conditioning and regulation. Now, with that said, let's discuss mental health. Mental health is a problem in the developing world. Um, Apparently, I'm not sure about the exact statistics. I'm not sure about the exact numbers. Probably should have pulled up an article or something while I'm recording this. But there's a problem. More antidepressants are being prescribed than ever before. Uh, More uh, young people are being diagnosed with psychiatric and mood disorders than ever before. There's a problem. There's a problem. Uh, There was an article I read on Blavity, uh, a website recently, that said that more black children, because I'm a black person myself, so I'm more aware of this community than, I guess, other communities, uh, just a point of reference, but more black children are killing themselves than the 1990s. Almost twice as many are committing suicide than the 1990s. More black minors are killing themselves than ever before. More white minors are, more Asian minors, more Native American minors. What is happening? What is happening in the world? Now, I could get emotional and I could become almost a conspiracy theorist and talk about all the things that are wrong with society. But I could say that I think as a society, we've placed a low premium on mental health. Again, mental health is the ability to use your mind in a positive way, to nurture your mind in a positive way that brings forth positive results and a high quality of life. 
but a lot of people don't have that. The part of the problem, we don't discuss mental health. I remember when I first got diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, the first thing someone said to me was don't talk about your disorder. This is what family and friends and even professionals said to me. Just don't be too talkative about it. Because they weren't trying to be put me down or be derogatory. They were trying to protect me. Because the world is not, it is not understand mental pain, mental disorder, psychological distress. Despite the fact that about a third of all people will go through, and I believe this is a statistic from the Pew Research Center, despite the fact that a third of all people have some degree of mental illness, we do not talk about mental illness. We do not discuss mental health. We do not discuss how to combat mental health. You know, it was a really tough couple of years for me because of, because of this fact. We don't discuss mental health. You know, um, I think another part of the problem is we have such stigma and such horrible ideas about what mental health and what mental illness look like. You know, some people believe mental health is not having a damn problem in the world. When the reality is that mental health is not about not having problems, it's about having problems, but being able to manage them and overcome them and resolve them in an intelligent, safe manner. And mental illness isn't when someone loses their marbles and goes insane and goes crazy and starts killing people. That's a very, very minute number of people with mental illness. In fact, mentally ill people are more likely to be victims of violence themselves than to be violent people. I'm often reminded of the movie, what was it called? Uh, Split by M. Night Shyamalan. His biggest hit in years was an exploitative hit piece on people with dis dissociative identity disorder. It disappointed me. I've always rooted for M. Night, but this time I said, fuck that. And it's not even me trying to be super politically correct. The movie was probably very entertaining. I didn't see it, but I didn't care to see it because once again, here we are demonizing people who probably cannot defend themselves in any meaningful way. We're, de we're demonizing people with disabilities. Had you made a movie called The Cripple and had a guy with, you know, in a wheelchair <laughs> killing people, I'm sure it would have gotten poor reception as it should have. You know what I'm saying? We cannot demonize people for things that they cannot control. And it's wrong to sit here and demonize people for their problems, their disabilities, for their disadvantages. You know? And that's where I stand on this issue. We have to be more sensitive. Not overly politically correct, but we have to really talk about the issues. We have to really talk about the issues. Uh, to give some context about myself in this regard, I was a kid who probably had bad anxiety most of his life. I was always afraid of everything. I was afraid of the upcoming day. I had this impending sense of doom about everything, about meeting people, going to school, experiencing life. And I just became a repressed shell of myself. I just withdrew into myself. I stopped caring about life. I stopped trying, you know? And it got worse as I got older. I got bullied, I got socially excluded from things. I just felt apart from other people. We moved around quite a bit. So I just never felt like I fit in, you know? I was a victim of physical abuse uh, in my household at the hands of my father. I was um, sexually abused as a child 
you know, it's not an easy thing to talk about, obviously, but I think it's important to talk about this. I was sexually abused as a child, raped by an older male, and that defined a large portion of my life, you know? I allowed it to define me, you know? I allowed it to just rule my thoughts and my emotions, and then I got older, and again, the, like I said, the bullying was there, the exclusion was there. You know, I was just a very fragile kid who tried to please everybody, and people saw that, and I think they preyed upon that, you know? And then, of course, there was just the fact that I started doing things I wasn't supposed to. I got very heavily into pornography, which I think is... I have nothing against sex workers, but I do think that pornography is problematic. And I know that's such a... A... Silly word, I think, in this day and age. I think people have hijacked that word for stupid purposes. But I think it is just legitimately problematic thing. Not even uh, in regards to... We could discuss pornography. My views on pornography later, but I think pornography kills creativity and just it's addictive it's unnecessary but i was a young kid and here i was getting into pornography i started smoking pot when i was really young and pot did not work well for me it caused a lot of anxiety it caused a, a lot of psychological pain it like repressed it but it repressed it to the point where i couldn't deal with it you know it almost Put a mental lock a block on my mind so i started smoking all this weed in high school and middle school and again i just kind of snapped i broke i had a bad concussion uh, there's new studies coming out that saying minor traumatic brain injuries um can cause depression in people and i just never was quite the same after that i became i was anxious already and i became very depressed um and over time i just start to notice my behaviors where I would be very depressed for long periods of time. Now, this is by the time I'm around age, I want to say 16, 17. I, I just became very belligerent at times. You know, I became very energetic, almost jumpy, you know. I think I'd use the word wired. I'd stand, stay up for days on end, writing, reading, uh, watching pornography, working on little art projects that I'd never complete. Um talking to myself and I started hallucinating I started to have false beliefs I started to have delusions I started to believe that there were things crawling in my skin I started hearing voices and they were saying all these horrible things about killing myself killing other people uh, telling me that I was God or and one of my favorite ones was telling me I was the devil's son you know um, but there were a variety of contradictory voices that just all spoke different messages, and uh, it was strange. It was difficult. It was painful. And I don't think my family handled it the best they could. I think they took me to a doctor uh, months into the, a lot of like the psychosis, you know, the psychotic symptoms happening, and we just never talked about it that much. It was difficult for me, but it was also difficult for them, too. And we never talked about how difficult it was for me, but how difficult it was for them. And we never discussed, honestly, the struggles of, of living with a mentally ill person. And we also never discussed the fact that many of them are also living with mental illness, anxieties, depressions, and other such problems. I realized after 
getting my diagnosis, I thought I was a freak in my family, but then I had uncles and aunts and, and cousins come forward and say, yeah, I tried to kill myself, and yeah, I struggle with addiction, which is to some degree a mental issue. I struggled with X, Y, Z, and I was shocked. We don't talk about these problems. I had a grandfather who apparently was a schizophrenic, and no one ever told me that. No one ever told me he struggled with these problems. And here I was struggling with the diagnosis of schizoaffective bipolar type. It's a bit of a contentious diagnosis. When most people ask, I just say I'm bipolar usually with psychosis and psychotic symptoms. But um, that's what the official diagnosis is. But I just had this diagnosis and I felt relief. But at the same time, I felt so confused. I felt scared. I thought I'd never be normal. If I don't take my medication, I'll never be normal. I thought maybe I'd never be happy, have a relationship, go to school. I thought I was a freak and I thought I was broken. And it didn't help that psychiatrist told me that basically, buddy, your life right now is the best that it gets. That's what he said. A grown man told me there's nothing he could do for me beyond giving me antipsychotics and said, just make the best of it. Which when I was 18 at the time, you don't tell someone who's that young that their life is just over basically. But that's what happened. It was frustrating and lonely very frustrating, very lonely. And I had all this trauma, all this pain, all these questions. And society doesn't discuss how to deal with these things. That's the most frustrating part. There are so many hurting people. I thought I was very unique in regard to the fact that I was sexually abused as a child. No, there are a lot of people. I think more than we are cognizant of who have been raped, sexually abused, molested, harassed, whatever. And I think it was very, a very tough situation for me to listen to, you know, very tough. And yeah, it's crazy. It's really fucking crazy. Um, but to get to the heart of what I was trying to say is, and this, what the point of the story was, is that there was so many questions that weren't answered. I felt so unsupported. I felt like society didn't care about me. If I wasn't born into a different family, who just my family, they're flawed people, but they're beautiful people. If I was born to a different family, I'd probably be on the streets talking to myself somewhere in a, in a, in a dump somewhere. And I'm serious. You know, I was, re, I was really in a bad way. Without medication, I really become someone else. Medication gives me stability. It gives me peace. And um, I was really just in a bad way. But here I was, struggling, and I finally felt at peace. Um, you know, I finally feel at peace, rather, right now. And I just want to kind of discuss how I got there from here. Because even after I got the medication, there was this overwhelming loneliness. I still became, I still had to struggle with depression, uh, intrusive thoughts, all kinds of issues. And I just felt like I was going nowhere. But there's some tips I would like to give and kind of some things that I helped me. And then we can get onto the societal issue again. As a person with mental health, a mental illness rather, who's coming to a period of mental health, there are a variety of things you need to do. And, you know, for yourself to empower yourself. Admit you have a disorder and, and understand that it'll never probably go away and be okay with that. 
Make peace with the fact that you are who you are. Accept what's going on in your brain chemistry. Accept what who you will be with or without the medication, with the medication and without the medication. And accept that you need your medication, you need your therapy, and that you're sick and you have a struggle, but a lot of people are sick and a lot of people have other struggles. Maybe mental illness isn't theirs, but that's yours. Um, another encouraging word for me personally is it's okay not to be perfect and it's okay not to be okay it's okay to have bad days it's okay not to do things right um it's okay to 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 fuck up once in a while it's okay to just completely make a fucking mess of everything uh it's okay to struggle to talk to people i have bad social anxiety it's okay to you know to be imperfect it's okay to be human you know that's why I said I said mental health earlier on. I said mental health isn't being perfect. It is accepting problems. It's accepting imperfection within yourself and in the, around the world, and making do with it. So it's okay to be imperfect, and it's okay to acknowledge imperfection. Um, the next last thing I would say is instead of being happy. Instead of striving to be happy, as so much of our culture tells us you have to be happy and you got to find happiness, work towards finding inner peace, finding joy. Joy is different from happiness, by the way. And finding meaning. And finding a sense of belonging and community and a support network. You know, these aren't easy things to come by, but they're important things to come by that'll ground you and help bring you back down when you spiral out of control. So, yeah. Um... Mental illness is a problem. Mental defect is a problem. A lack of mental health is a huge problem in our society. But do those things. Accept who you are, not just as a mentally ill person. If you're not mentally ill, if you're struggling with some mental issues and mental health issues, accept where you're at, accept who you are, accept that you need help, accept your struggles, accept your past, accept your pain, and be okay with it. Acceptance is the first step to overcoming any struggle. Okay, I have a problem. Let's deal with it. The next part, obviously, is it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to fuck up. You know, it's okay not to, to be perfect. It's okay to, to fail. That's the next thing. Society tells us we have to succeed, 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 succeed. And the truth is that people fail a lot. A lot of successful people fail a lot. The, the I believe it was PayPal... The founder of PayPal, I think his name is Peter Thiel. I think his business tanked five times before he succeeded the sixth time. Oprah Winfrey failed many times before she succeeded. The Beatles, I think, were told that their music was boring and uninteresting by a label executive. And lo and behold, they're the most successful band in the world. Michael Jordan, high school basketball team. Um... He told he was too short. He was cut from it. He went home and cried. Now he's the six-time NBA champion, probably the greatest basketball player in the world and in history. And um, this is the reality of it. Failure doesn't mean... Failing once doesn't mean you're a failure forever. Tell yourself this. Carry this mantra in your heart, in the deepest recesses of your mind. Failure isn't final. Rather, let me rephrase that. Success is not final. Success does not last forever. And failure is not fatal. You can learn from failures. You can grow. 
a psych teacher once told me you will fail 30 to 70% of the time in your life. Most of the time you will fail. A good portion of your life, at least, you will fail. But then you'll succeed also. Be open to that. Um, the next tidbit, of course, is finding inner peace, having joy, meaning, and a sense of belonging and support. Um, meaning is a variety of things, but for me, meaning is just having a sense of direction, having passion and purpose, and that can be anything for you. It can be caring for other people, being a volunteer, you know, it can be giving yourself to art, it could be making your business, your small business, whatever, making a big business, who knows, but find meaning and peace and have meaning and always go back to that meaning. Have, have a, a safe space in your mind to go to, you know, and um, carve joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is a constant sense of contentment that lasts through all things. And joy is what stabilizes us and helps us come back to the shore when our metaphorical ship, our brain is kind of capsized, been overturned and all that. And we just need to come back to the metaphoric shore, the safety space in our minds. So just have joy. And be okay with making mistakes. Be okay with trying new things. Have a comfort space in your brain, but okay, be okay going out of your comfort zone. You know? Now, our society doesn't really talk about these things all too often. And it doesn't really say much, you know? Um, but I think it would behoove us to talk about a lot of mental health issues, a lot of mental illness, a lot of mental traumas that people go through. You know? And it would help us to learn to also be kind to each other, to love each other, to respect each other, to do right by each other. You know? I thought about killing myself every day for like a five-year stretch of my life. And like I said, I'm in my early 20s, so that's like a quarter of my life. I thought about just ending my life. And that's such a long period of time that I was just so alone and just in such a broken place. People shouldn't have to go through that. We should love each other. We should support each other. We should encourage conversation about mental health. We should respect one another. That's what the real end game of mental health uh, promotion is. We should love each other. We should support each other. We should be kind to each other. We should respect each other. Give to each other. You know? And also make it easy for people to give. Make it easy for people to be kind, you know? Don't be a prick. Don't be unkind. Love Again... Love is a two-way street. Love each other and really work towards helping each other out. You see someone struggling, you should that should touch you. That should make you should want to go help them. You should help them. You know? Mental health is a multi-way street. It's about giving, not always taking. And I think the conversation about mental health often starts at a very stops at a very it stops at a very superficial place. About taking care of oneself but I think it's about taking care of society and making things better because things are only going to get worse for us mental health wise you know um, I think his name is Johan I think it's Johan Harry Johan Harris I forget his name but he speaks about how mental illness and the way it's treated is unhealthy the way it's spoken about is unhealthy it's unhelpful it's unhealthy it's, it's not you know it doesn't have a good end goal. 
it's not successful. The way we treat it, the way we talk about it, the way we sweep it under the rug. Then we, pre- then we tell people to be mentally healthy, be strong, you know, love each other. That's really it. I know that's a very hippie, dippy message. I know some, maybe some bullshit, not what you're expecting necessarily, but that's the truth. Love yourself. Really love yourself. Maybe you feel like there's nothing worth loving about yourself, but you cannot love anyone else before you love yourself. And you cannot be happy in your mind and have inner peace if you don't like yourself, if you don't appreciate yourself, if you don't think highly of yourself, if you don't criticize yourself in meaningful ways, you know. Don't say, ah, I'm such a fucking idiot. Just, just say, I wish. No, don't even use I wish. Don't use words like I wish or I want or this and that. Just say, I need to take better care of myself. I need to eat better. I need to, to sleep at a better time. I need to, you know, maybe get a better job. Just be healthy, meaningful criticisms that will bring you to better places. Don't be soft with yourself. If you need some tough love, talk with yourself, do that. If you need someone to give you tough love, do that. But don't, there's no need for life to be abrasive and abusive and, and cruel. So again, I must emphasize, love yourself. Love each other. You know, forgive people. You know, mental health is a much deeper thing than I think people make it out to be. I think I'd argue that what some people call spirituality to me is just mental health. But understanding your worth and helping other people understanding their worth too. So, mental health is so important. Please work towards having a good mental health. So mental health is really important. But the next little tidbit we're going to discuss, which connects in a lot of ways to mental health and I think perceptions of oneself, is the political situation in the world right now. Not just the Western world. I think I might have said that in the first couple minutes, but I think just the general world. Um, I can see it's so broken. In America, people keep using the word divided. We are divided. Trump has divided us. The world is divided. You have, on one hand, on the extreme end of one spectrum, I guess you have on the right wing, you have people who are fucking Nazis. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who aren't, honestly, aren't as bad as Nazis, in my opinion, on the left spectrum. I don't think there's anything equivalent on the left to a Nazi right now. But there are people who I think have exacerbated and engendered a situation that promotes... um, the Nazi's thought. And I can't, it's not to say that the Nazi's thought is justified in any way, but I think it is created a situation where the Nazi's thought can flourish. Let's break it down. At least in the Western world, let's talk about it. Um, so let's get down to things. Donald Trump won the 2016 election two years ago, right? How the fuck did that happen? A lot of people are still confused Initially, I was sick to my stomach. Regardless of your political views or proclivities, right, left, whatever, I'm a very liberal person. Regardless of your views, Donald Trump is a fucking horrible human being. He's cancer. Calling Mexicans rapists, a sexually assaulting women. He had an open rape case since 13 while he was running. Donald Trump is a horrible human being. Making fun of disabled people. He's a horrible human being. And not that he makes empty promises to people who are so desperate 
I actually feel bad for his followers. He makes empty promises about walls and and we're gonna bring back coal. He doesn't give a fuck about you. Now, all politicians make empty promises, but this guy sits here and makes empty promises, promising you the world, the moon, and the stars. He doesn't do shit. Donald Trump pisses me off. He really fucking does. That being said, with all that horrible stuff he did, how and why did he win? Well, I think the reason he won is rooted in the fact that middle American white people, especially middle American white males, but a lot of middle American women are also on some stuff too. A lot of middle American white men feel threatened. They feel deeply threatened. I think left-wing identitarianism has scared the crap out of a lot of middle American white men. And not just middle American white men, it's coastal white men too. We, we, I think sometimes we dump this problem onto the poor whites in fucking Wyoming, saying, oh, white people in Wyoming, they, they voted for Donald Trump, when in reality is there are plenty of white intellectuals, very intelligent, educated white people who live on the coasts who voted for Donald Trump. A lot of rich white people on the coast voted for Donald Trump. So let's stop blaming poor white people. Let's stop saying that. Let's stop blaming poor people for the fuck-ups of America. Let's just say that, okay? Done. Moving on. Anyway, a lot of middle American white men feel very threatened. I mean, think about it. We are in the third or maybe the fourth, I don't know, fourth wave of feminism. And we've had feminist rhetoric and feminist movies and feminist ideologies slowly watering down and slowly chipping away at patriarchal thought, at male-dominated thought. More and more characters on television shows are women. More and more courses on colleges talk about male privilege and ending patriarchy and women's rights and rape culture and even the idea of yes, all women. Yes, all women have suffered at the hands of men and even maybe to some lesser degree, maybe yes, all men have benefited from the, the domination of women. You know? And then you talk also about things like racial identity politics, ethnic identity politics. There's a growing... Um, movement of, I guess, black consciousness in this era. Perhaps even more potent than what was existing in the 60s. An intense black consciousness in this country. An awareness of black identity and black, you know, autonomy that exists that I think is very intriguing. There is growing number of, of Latino and Asian people in this country, so much that they'll outpace white people. And so it's not hard to understand why white men feel the way they do. In your world, the world you craft for yourself, America, the West, you're being replaced by women and also by non-white people. You're being overtaken. You know, you're being overtaken. You're being what you feel, I guess, was replaced. And that is very threatening. I can understand that much. I can understand why people go out with tiki torches and they're talking about, yeah, the, the, the Jews are doing this, the, the, the blacks are doing this, and I can understand it. And in no way am I saying it's right, and in no way am I condoning it, but it's, it, it's very easy to look at. White hegemony and patriarchy are in their death throes in Western society. I really do believe so. White supremacy is in its death throes. People are scared, because for the first time ever, they'll be the minorities. I'm a man, obviously, I'm a man. Do I feel threatened by women becoming more powerful? No. 
But I can understand that it's a difficult place for many men where our voice and our opinions and our views are the most honored and now suddenly, bam, a woman can really just shut you down and, and do the same thing maybe we did to them. I don't know. But that's what's happening. And it's a very scary place to be for a lot of people. You know, it's a very scary place for a lot of people. I understand it, but it's not right. That's the thing that I have to say. I don't condone it. I don't justify it. And it's not right. We always talk about America and I'll talk about America. I can talk about the West next. America is the melting pot, a melting pot, not only of ideas, but ideologies, cultures, religions, sexualities, gender identities, blah, 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 political ideologies, blah, 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 blah. And, um, yeah, races too, obviously races and ethnicities too, nationalities too. And here we are with the first chance to really prove ourselves as the melting pot nation. And we are losing our shit. <laughs> oh, Asians will outpace the white population. That's very threatening to people. The Latinos will outpace the white population. That's very scary. That's very scary. And I think part of it even has to do, I remember Mark Lamont Hill had a video on BuzzFeed saying, white people, you're going to be a minority. And he laughed. And white people in the comments were angry. Why were they so angry? No, it was HuffPost, sorry, not BuzzFeed. But people were so angry. And I was looking and I was laughing. Perhaps this is sort of this weird thing where people felt that the idea of whiteness is superior and greater. And we as white people can do whatever we want and dominate other races. And now other groups will be the white people. They'll dominate you. And that's why people are scared. As diversity comes along, I mean, I talked, you hear some of the things white people say, diversity is code for anti-white, anti-racism is code for anti-white. What are you saying about whiteness? Are you saying that whiteness is a damaging and destructive thing? This sort of identity politic amongst whites, and of course amongst men, is dangerous in my opinion. Because it not only gave us Donald Trump, but it gives us fascist movements, it gives us Nazism, it gives us... Uh, you know, sort of these weird patriarchal offshoots of things like men's rights activism. We could talk about men's rights activism in a little bit. But um, it talks about men's rights activism, this and that, and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it's not helpful. It creates a toxic environment. It's just fear that motivates people. Fear motivated racism. Fear motivates sexism. It's all oppressive, you know? And it motivates the desire to keep people down. And, you know, people derive power from, I'm white, I'm better than you, I'm male, I'm better than you, you know what I'm saying? And that explains a lot of the situation. On the other hand, I don't think the situation happened in a vacuum. I think a lot of moderate white male people and a lot of moderate white people in general, a lot of moderate male people have been pushed in some ways to extremism, or at least feel like they've been pushed, because I don't, I don't want to give them an out here, but they feel like they've been pushed to extremism because of the, the, the leftist politics. You know, when you're being told that you are white, hence you are racist, I can see that as a bit of a, being a bit of a triggering thing. The average white person, I believe, has problematic views on race. However, what I call them a racist is the average white person, David Duke. No, you know, at least not anymore. We're not in the 60s. We're in 2019. You know, there was the Pew Research Center just released all these studies that interracial relationships and marriages and, 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 you know, communities and multicultural communities are more prominent throughout the West and the United States than ever before. So clearly that's not the case. People aren't as racist as they used to be, you know, 
I think a small minority of people are just being very loud. That's my firm belief. You know, racism is a problem. But I think there are two extreme points of view that racism is this intense problem that just will not go away. And don't get it twisted. We'll talk about racism here. We will talk about racism. There are many topics to discuss about the, 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 the aspect of racism. Um, but we'll discuss that maybe in later episodes. Racism does exist. But at the same time, I think there's also people who overstate the severity and the importance in our life in racism has in our lives. The severity of racism, the importance it has in our lives. And I think that those are problems that of our society where I think it's expressive of the fact that we have no middle ground. Everything is in extremes. There's black and there's white, but there's no gray. You know, there's no understanding issues in a nuanced and balanced manner. And that's the problem with our society right now, you know? So I look at it like this. People, the right wing kind of fascism, men's rights activism types, white nationalist types, they kind of were birthed from this fear of being dethroned. And as white people and as men. And I think to some degree, years of being told, well, you're white, you're evil, you're male, you're evil, have also kind of added to that. And I think the influx of immigration in some countries is also a cost of this, you know, changing values, changing views, changing future, you know, people are scared, people don't know what the future holds. You know, we'll talk about that a little bit about the future, what the future holds at the end. But the left has also exacerbated some things too. I think, you know, that black consciousness is such a beautiful and powerful thing. As a black man, of course I'm going to have at least some affinity and some affection for black consciousness. Growing up, I was a little uh, black nationalist militant. You know, I think I've eased up on that kind of political rhetoric and ideology a bit, but I still look at some of it, I, th- I agree. I think a lot of it has meaning and it still has relevance in this day and age. However, whereas I feel white men and white people and men separately also um, feel threatened by being dethroned and kind of have this desperate need to cling on to their power, there's also this desperate need to cling on to powerlessness on the other side. Does that make sense? As a black man, I see it in the various black communities around the world. I was in South Africa last summer and I got to see with that current situation with the the land reacquisition and race and all these things, black people, we hang out to this feeling of powerlessness. The white man did us wrong. The white man did this. And I think we've fested that to the point where we think we're victims of everybody. We talk about anti-blackness in every culture and anti-blackness in this and that culture. And, you know, I always think that that kind of language is devoid of personal responsibility. It's devoid of our ability for us to have autonomy. It's devoid of our ability for us to have agency. We, I think the word agency gets brought up a lot in this social justice era. And I think people don't really understand what agency is. Agency is being able to take accountability for your mistakes and your wrongdoing, whilst also admitting your part in certain things, and whilst also uplifting yourself, while also saying, yes, these people did impede us, but we can also help ourselves too. So that's the thing, you know. Again, I'm a very liberal guy, but I did watch a Larry Elder video, and Larry Elder spoke about this in some length. People, well, he spoke about black men, 
how nothing racism isn't holding black men back and i disagree with that notion for a variety of reasons but i think i liked one point he made where he's like we have more power than we think we do and we've been spoon-fed a diet of i have no power you know and people on one side are clinging to desperately to the sense of power they have. Other people are desperately clinging to the sense of powerlessness they have. And dictating, both of those people are dictating how they see the world. You know what I'm saying? As, as a black man, I see it. Um, I see how some black women in their entire lives to say, yes, we are black. And that is it. And victims and this and that. And black people have suffered so much in this country. Don't even get it twisted. I frankly think black people deserve reparations. I really do. But reparations can't just be given and, oh, racism's over. Black people have to use those reparations wisely to help build themselves up. You understand what I'm saying? So there's a part of it where, yes, there has to be some sort of way where we rectify the, the ills of, of the culture and the past and society. But there also has to be accountability on people to, to uplift themselves and help themselves get to the other side, you know, and to heal themselves. Because it's no one else's responsibility to make yourself feel better than yourself. It's kind of goes with the mental illness discussion and mental health discussion I had a little bit earlier. You have to uplift yourself. You can't love anyone else and you can't do anything in life and you can't empower anyone else and you can't change the world if you can't even change yourself. And so that's my problem with the black community in this country and abroad, you know. We'll talk about how the white man undeveloped Africa and this and that, and he's doing this right now. He's stealing diamonds and oil and platinum. Africa is a huge continent. The fact that there's not one nation of black people that is successful and powerful, that is not just a middle power, the fact that there's no black first world nation is disappointing. We can talk about colonialism, we can talk about this and that. Black people, we have so much capability and potential. That's the thing I say. Don't believe that you're powerless. And don't blame other people for the fact that you feel powerless. You know? Help uplift yourself. And in no way am I putting all the onus of responsibility for your problems on you. But I'm saying, stop waiting for other people to save you. And that's the crux of what I'm getting at here. Stop waiting for other people to save you. Make your own. My sister said something very powerful the other day. Instead of getting mad and bitching that you don't have a seat at the table, create your own fucking table. Put your own fucking plate. Build your own fucking feast and do for you. Black people, women, LGBT people, as I specified in the last episode, in the, the intro episode, I am a bisexual man. And I see in the same thing in the LGBT community where there's kind of this desperate need to kind of navel gaze about our own victimhood and things, and it's unhealthy. It's deeply, deeply unhealthy. You know? It's more important that we work to grow ourselves and to, to help ourselves, you know? To push ourselves into the greater narrative of society and make legacies that are lasting instead of getting mad and tripping and bitching at people that they aren't doing the things we want them to do for us. You understand what I'm saying? Instead of waiting for someone else to build your legacy, build your own legacy. But be willing, again, people on the other side of things, to admit your wrongdoing. In no way am I saying black people pull up your bootstraps, stop talking about racism. I'm saying black people understand that racism is real, but also understand that we must deal and help ourselves. You understand what I'm saying? And that white racism is real. Slavery was a very great impediment to black success. Colonialism was a great impediment to black success. But in no way are these things going to stop us from succeeding. And stop talking like that. You know? Stop talking like that.
That's my big thing. You know, so how does this factor into the rest of life? I went on a bit of a tangent, but how does this factor into the political situation now? People feel powerless on one end. People feel dispowered, you know, underpowered. I don't know what the word is, but people feel like their power is being taken away on the right end of things, on the, the male things, the, the white side of things. On the left side of things, people feel like their power is, um, their powerlessness, they're holding on to it. Narratives of powerlessness. We're holding on to it and we're using it, we're weaponizing our rhetoric of powerlessness to try and fight the powerful which is a strange and I think unhelpful tactic. You know, there are migrants coming into Europe and many Europeans feel very angry. Oh my God, this white woman was killed. You know, I remember the Cologne sex attacks and people talk, ah, this is sexual terrorism. Um, meanwhile, this was in Germany, uh, Cologne. I think Germany has one of the high rates of human trafficking for any developed country. So I was surprised now that I guess it's a, I guess it's sexual terrorism when black and brown men are raping women, but I guess it's not when white men are raping white women. But that's another aside I could go into uh, about people's hysteria. But there's this fear, there's a genuine fear that white people will be absurd and they will be done the way. They will be done the way they did others. It's the great reason why white people, leave, you know, actually put gun control into effect. Because Black Panthers started buying guns in the season 70s in this country. And it scared white people. It deeply scared white people. Because white people were like, what if they do us like we did them? That's scary. That's very scary. Because white people know what they did. They know they did some really foul, fucked up things to black people. To Latinos, to Jews, to Asians, to Arabs. You know what I'm saying? That's what their fear is about getting acted out against. As a man... We beat women, we kill women, we rape women. If women treated us the way we treated them, I think it'd be a different world. And in no way am I saying women are perfect. In no way am I saying women are incapable of doing bad things. We could talk about that in another episode. But generally speaking, systemically, who gets you know, pushed down and who gets deprived of opportunities and who gets killed and who has laws against them in various countries? Women do, not men. So uh, let's admit it. Let's just admit it. There is a, a world of female, anti-female oppression and anti-female rhetoric, misogynistic rhetoric. You know, let's just admit it. Let's call a thing a thing. But let's not go overboard into the other side of things and start saying, oh, my God, you know, if you were born with a penis, you are Satan incarnate. You know, I think that's the problem. People can't control being white or male. You know what I'm saying? So they can't control the fact that maybe they do have certain advantages and privileges over another person. But there's a way about educating people and helping people understand it. I know I'm kind of all over the place, but there's, there's a tie-in at the end of all this. You can teach people how to rectify racism without being abusive or destructive. There are good white people. There are good men. There are good uh, straight people and all this stuff. I say this again, bisexual black man, you know, there are good rich people. Not every rich person wants to destroy the world, you know? Though I think there's a problem of classism in this world. And I think, you know, I used to be a, quite a socialist. There are people who, a minority of rich people, but a minority of rich people who approve of wealth allocation and making the world a better place and using the money spread around the world to help end things like homelessness and poverty and hunger, you know? And I think that's the key to the political situation we're in. Instead of trying to find the bad in people in every single turn, find the good. It goes back to my, my next thing, have love. But here, don't just have kind of, a, kind of an emotional, have a kind of an intellectual 
lies logical love. Realize, if I want the world to change, I have to be the change in the world. And I have to help people, I have to explain things, I have to educate people, I have to talk to people. I won't just debate people, but I will openly and honestly discuss. I'm always reminded of Steven Crowder, the right-wing libertarian uh, uh, YouTuber. And how he went to, I think it was UC Berkeley, and he was speaking to students. And a black man spoke about how, yeah, there, there needs to be more personal accountability in the black community. There needs to be more self-awareness in the black community. And I think Steven Crowder agreed with that. And he said, you know, you and I were able to have a discussion. I'm gonna, this isn't what he said verbatim, but he said, to paraphrase, you and I had a discussion. We were able to view things in an even a nuanced manner. And yeah, I can admit it's harder for a black guy. And I think a lot of white people would be more willing to admit it's harder for a black guy in this country than a white guy if you just came at us kind of cool. But saying fuck whitey is not going to answer the questions. And I'm not saying you have, you have to hide your emotions. If you're angry about racism, be angry. If you're black and you're listening to this, please don't think I'm sitting here saying be nice to whitey. You know, be nice to white people. Get over it and, you know, but there's no need to be sitting here. I see sometimes, you know, trying to exacerbate things for no reason. A white guy just sitting there chilling, doing his thing, or he's always oh, into hip hop. He's like, I love hip hop music. Ah, you culture vulture. There's no need for that kind of shit. You know, you don't help the situation. You don't help the situation. You know? And it's easier for us to listen to it when it's coming from a place of love versus a place of adversarial kind of contention. You know? Again, I'm not asking people to censor themselves. I'm asking them to be very careful about your word choice. Because we need to change the world together. The thing is, the world is globalizing, it's getting bigger. There's going to be a world of people who are want to work together, integrate, help each other, move. They're different things, you know. The world, you know, I, I need things from China. I need things from, from Zambia. I need things from Australia. I need things from, from Venezuela. You know what I'm saying? Technology and, and supplies and resources. So it's best for us to work together instead of us getting angry at each other. Because a lot of ideologues have this world where it's like, here's the black corner. Here's the white corner. Here's the gay corner. Here's the poor corner. Here's the rich corner. Here's this corner, that corner. That's not how life should work. My big problem... Again, I'm not a political person. I have some political awareness, but I'm not a political person. So maybe I shouldn't have called this the political portion of the episode. But for real, people are stupid as fuck when it comes to politics. Because all politics is, in my opinion, is getting self-righteous as fuck about your opinion. That it's just your opinion. And then bitching about it. Someone else has a different opinion. And you two fighting back and forth endlessly. For no reason. Because neither of you is theoretically right. There are better ways to manage things, if we're being frank. But that doesn't just make it completely right. Because there's a better way than the better way. And that's the thing about politics. There's no perfect way. There's just better ways of doing things. You know? And so that's where I'm at. You know? The political division in this country and the rise of right-wing fascist leaders like Joao, I think his name is Joao Balansaro in Brazil, it's created by people feeling helpless and trying to retain power and, you know, like I said earlier in the episode, going back to old things. There's a brilliant TED Talk. Uh, I forget the name of the TED Talk. There's an Israeli writer um, who wrote, I forget his name, I forget the name of his book. Shit. But there's an Israeli writer, you can look for it up, the TED, TED Talk, Israeli writer, whatever, who spoke about it. He said, people are going back to the patterns they know because it's so much easier for them. We're saying make America great again. When has America been great in the past? A land of rape, slavery, corruption, imperialism, patriarchy. 
And this is not to say America doesn't have good qualities, but I'm saying when we got that idea, make America great again. What was, what, who was America great for? Except for white landowning males, for rich white dudes. If you're not rich, if you're not white, if you're not a man, what, what good was America for you? If you're not straight, what was America good for? And so that's kind of where I'm at with this kind of thing. We need to move forward, to push forward, let go of our various biases, because we all have biases, we all have prejudice. Some of the prejudices tied to institutional systems, we need to destroy institutional systems like white supremacy, like uh, patriarchy, these, these things that hold people back. We need to love each other and work together and communicate and discuss instead of shouting each other down and saying, well, fuck you, black guy, fuck you, white guy. You know what I'm saying? We need to sit here and listen to each other. Instead of name-calling and bitching and, and going crazy, make things better for people. Unders- help people educate people. Build people up. Listen to people. You know what I'm saying? Don't just speak sometimes, but be willing to listen. As a man, some of the most rewarding things that have ever happened in my life have been when I listened to a woman and just heard her speak about being a woman. It didn't all make sense to me. I didn't agree with everything, but it was empowering for both of us. For her to share her experience and to be heard. Like the point of this story is, the, the, like the point of this podcast is sharing her story. She shared her story. She gave me a new way of seeing things. She gave me a new way of understanding things, seeing things, and feeling and experiencing things. So that was a beautiful thing. So the reason the Western world is the way that it is, is because people don't want to hear each other out. And people, would ra- people don't want to hear each other out, and people would rather revert back to old ways of thinking. And it's stressful. It's frustrating. It's stupid as fuck. <laughs> but yeah. And in other parts of the world, again, this, again, identitarianism takes many other forms. Is I think his name is Nan- Nan- Indira? Naranda? No, Naranda. There's name. Naranda Modi. A Hindu nationalist. You know? And we should be building towards each other. Again, I'm an idealist in that sense, perhaps, but... It makes the most sense. The world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller due to technology, due to globalization. You cannot tell me that us dividing, that we'll have this small little divided world, this little fragmented world. That's not how things should look. And it won't work for very long because wars will break out. Violence will increase. You know, the world is the safest and most beautiful it's been in a while. The world is the most disease free in some parts it's been in ever. It's the most developed. Things should be getting better politically. We should be moving forward, like the Israeli writer said. We should be pushing forward. You know? And even with the Israel and Palestine thing, when you remove the hotheads, things can change for that situation too. You know, I have my opinions of Israel, I have my opinions of Zionism, I have my opinions of many things, Hamas. Uh, you know, I'm, I respect the struggles of each side you know I'm from southern Africa like I said I'm Zimbabwean but I got family in South Africa Yasir Arafat of Palestine was a huge help to South Africa a huge supporter I support the Palestinian struggle and the existence for Palestine to have autonomy but I also understand why Israel needs to exist too let's have a nuanced balanced discussion about these kinds of things instead of getting to yelling matches and, and screaming racism and bigotry and, and hiding in corners and throwing stones and hiding our hands and Let's have a nuanced adult discussion. Let's educate each other. Let's listen. Let's truly understand. 
That is why things are so fucked up. And let's be willing to move forward to something we couldn't even comprehend before because of our newfound understanding and ability to listen. So yeah, again, I'm not a political mastermind and theorist, but that's my take on a lot of the political situation happening in the world right now. You know? And again, it connects to the mental health thing of just helping yourself, but also helping to make the world a better place too in the grand scheme of things. So please, let's work towards this a bit more. Thank you. Hey there, are you still with me? I understand we've kind of gone on for a bit longer than expected for a first episode, first real episode of a new podcast, but I think I just want to divulge the last bit, the last tidbit I was talking about, which is the flaws of religion. I'm a person who conf- admits that I'm confused spiritually about where I want to stand with things. A lot of spiritually int- spirituality interests me, but it also kind of repels me because of the, the kind of the, the lack of a scientific basis for things. I'm not a super scientific dude, but um, you got to understand me that I have an appreciation for things that are logical, that are tangible, you know? And so just saying to me, for example, you just have to believe, or you just have to feel this, or do you, you know, that doesn't work for me. You understand? And I think that's the flaw of religion. And this is going to be pretty brief, actually. Uh, but specifically Christianity. I've been talking to a pastor recently about why, why are young people leaving the church? A lot of young people are leaving the church because it just doesn't feed the need anymore. Now, don't get it twisted. Just because religion may be going out of style doesn't mean that people replace religion with some other thing and God will be replaced with some other omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient thing. But people don't care about that anymore. You know, people don't care about listening to a Bronze Age story about some warmongering brute who killed people and, you know says women are inferior and slavery was okay and gay people shouldn't get married. No one wants to listen to that. And you can tell I have a very biased opinion of Christianity and religion already right out the gate. I have nothing against Christians. Many of my friends are actually very Christian. But I find the problem with Christianity to be that Christianity just is outdated. And so are a lot of religions. That's why young people are leaving religion in this country. It's difficult. It's tough. You know? It's so rigid and full of rules, and it's so crushing. And it also just doesn't feel the need. Like, we are a generation of people, we need to see results. You can't tell us God, oh, God works in mysterious ways, and people are dying of disease and and sickness. And there's things like slavery and rape and murder and torture happening in the world and war and famine. You can't tell us just that God works in mysterious ways. Does God work at all? You know? I'm not an atheist, I'm an agnostic. I don't know what is out there. I don't know what the higher power is. And I don't really care too much, again, to intellectually masturbate about what is or isn't there. But, you know, I don't... I'm not a hardcore atheist. I think those people have it wrong, too. The idea of, ah, oh, God is wrong, religion is all bad. I think that is also just a poor way of looking at things. You know? Again, I have many atheist friends. I'm not shitting on atheists, but I think that hardcore, anti-theistic atheism is also as... Cr- problematic in the way it views the world in such black and whites as hardcore fundamentalist Christianity. There's nuance, you know? There need, you know, there are reasons why Christianity doesn't appeal to young people. As stated previously, it's outdated. You know, 
know, the idea that, oh, just wait, wait, God will give it to you. This is the instant gratification generation. People need results now. They need tangible things now. Technology provides what God can't give. Social issues, not just famine, not just war, but you look at the world. I mean, a lot of Christians, for example, abortion is wrong. I talked to my Christians, abortion is so wrong, man. Here's the thing. Regardless of how you feel about abortion, abortion is a public health and safety issue. It's a public health and safety issue. And it needs to be there because unless if we if we make it, if we criminalize it, women will be sticking coat hangers up their vaginas, they will be burning themselves in tubs, they'll be drinking poison, they'll be doing all kinds of wild shit. Getting back alley abortions, you know what I'm saying? We need to have kind of a, a level-headedness about this. And I I will concede that this is not my most balanced. I, I get very unbalanced and very unnuanced with this conversation because I get so emotional. I'm gonna try to even out again. But we really need to do better. If the church is interested in reaching out to young people, it needs to change itself. But changing itself fundamentally would mean giving up what makes sense makes Christianity Christianity, and it wouldn't even be Christianity anymore. You know? I had a, a talk with my mom, who's she, she's a Christian too. She's like, oh yeah, um, I don't like the church anymore. They're playing pop songs instead of hymns. That's how you get the young people to stay. Young people don't hear hymns about... God, I am a sinner, and I deserve to go to hell, but you saved me. No one wants to hear that shit. And people say, oh, they, young people just don't like reality. Young people don't want to hear about how awful we are and how horrible we are. Again, it's just we want kind of something that advances us, enhances us. In this age of poor mental health, we need something that gives us peace and power and makes us feel enlightened, you know? And you need something that makes people feel worth it valuable you know and appeals to their social and political views obviously you know you can't tell people that god will stone you because you're gay and then expect them to agree with that on any level you know what i'm saying you can't people need something that appeals to them in every sense and christianity doesn't appeal to young people it's boring and dated Again, that's not a balanced or fair view, perhaps. And I will probably regret saying some of this stuff maybe later on. Because I know it's not necessarily... I'm talking a little out of pocket now, to be honest. But, you know, I'm just being blunt. You know? And again, there are beautiful things about Christianity. When I was a Christian as a kid, I was excited to go to church. I felt safe. I felt like someone was listening and loving me. And I'd be honest if I did said as an agnostic, I didn't have more existential questions and crises. You know? And, but I think religion can have a place in modern society if it's something that is meaningful and worthwhile to people and gives people hope. But you cannot force young people to get mad and say, oh, young people, like I, I talked to one guy, he's like, oh, you're going to go to hell, man, you're going to hell. And this, you know, I don't want to hear that shit. Good, I'm going to hell, fuck that. A lot of people are going to go to hell then, the end, whatever. You know, you can't scare people anymore. People don't respond to fear anymore. They've stopped. You need to give them positive reinforcement, you know? And it goes back to the mental health thing. You cannot just browbeat people into believing things anymore, into doing things, into into feeling things. People want something higher and transcendent and meaningful. Maybe that's where spirituality comes in. Maybe spirituality in this country and in this world abroad, it will be the answer to a lot of the problems. You know, a healthy sense of love, respect, empowerment, transcendent experiences 
caring for one another, building things up instead of breaking them down, working to build bridges instead of closing doors, you know what I'm saying? And that's where we're at. Maybe the answer to a lot of things is spiritual, but you need to have the right kind of spirituality. You can't just tell people, oh, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. You have to do this and you're going to hell. You can't tell that to people. People don't want to be forced anymore. People are tired of the status quo. And that's kind of where I want to end this conversation. Hopefully, this gives us a springboard to talk about other things later in the future. Please sign the Centoya Brown uh, petition if you're interested. Um, We have many more hot topics to talk about, many more ideas to divulge. This is a bit kind of a very general episode, but we'll discuss things more, you know, in a more structured format. If you have a topic you really want to discuss, please um, send me a message. I'm on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram. Um, And Instagram. Um, I have other platforms I'd like to get into as well. Maybe even YouTube, something like that. You know, let's see. Um, Thank you for listening. Hopefully you heard some different stories and some different perspectives about society. And hopefully we can use stories to empower each other and different things. Again, this wasn't exactly my plan for this episode. It was a bit all over the place. It was a bit, you know, the topics were very open-ended. But I think next time we'll get more specific with the topics. And hopefully next time we can discuss more pop culture, art, Uh, music type stuff that's kind of where my heart is moving towards right now we'll also start talking about these politics things and we can hopefully you know add in other things too you know humor poetry i don't know filmography we can make this an experimental i don't know what the fuck but we'll do other things so this is just the beginning y'all it was fun talking have a beautiful and blessed morning evening or afternoon i'm your man quiz This is Zuva 9, and uh, it's all good, man. It's all good.